That's right. This is the Pre-Game Engineer Tug Game Air Racing Podcast, episode number 291. It's Tuesday, May 25th, 2021. I'm Tug Game Air Rusty Wallace here in the PTM Podcast Studio in Atlanta, Georgia. The PTM Podcast is sponsored by you. That's right. You go to patreon.com forward slash PTN. Join the Watch a Drink Club for as little as $1 a month. Get that free koozie. Get some stickers. Best part is every cent this year, we're donating to sponsoring drivers. So join the PTM Posse today. Be a part of the sport you love. This week's show brought to you by our official sponsors at the $5 and up per month level. I already had to take a breath there, so let's see if we can get it. Here we go. Aaron Bearden, Robert Kevin, Coleman, Clamac, Kevin Ryan, Keeper, Patrick Cleary, Jeff Brown, Brennan Crowell, Kathy McDonald, Brandon Carl, Ricky Porter, Julie Bosley, Edward Greer, the third, Yonker Motorsports, David Mullins, Patrick Johnson, Brett Morris, Crystal Smoke, Fred Mazzotto, Chad Knapp, and Stacey Coleman, Lisa Chinana, Rick Houston, Sarah, and Barry, Evan Roller, Matthew Bishop, Perry Bolzania, AJ Villain, AJ Evangelista, Janet Scott, Les Miller, and Jumpy Bob. Woo! All right. I got, I got, you know, 15 names in a woo, Sherwin. It's <laughs> not bad. I, I dig it. I say 15. That's more like 25 or 30 something so thank you ptm posse and uh everybody hanging out on the youtube channel everybody listening in uh afterwards and everything else so appreciate y'all being here uh, i've already mentioned him from the ptm north carolina studio pregame engineer andrew sherwin how you doing man it's heating up up here man i tell you what man uh i will tell you what uh, i don't know i don't know what happened we'll talk about the weather here in a moment let's go ahead and bring on our guest tonight he made his last appearance on ptm 247 Almost a year ago. That, that was right about when we figured out that, like, uh-oh, this whole quarantine thing, that's going to be a little more than just just a couple weeks, isn't it? So uh, he's a NASCAR writer and analyst, co-host of the Positive Regression Podcast, owner of Motorsports Analytics. He's on Twitter at David Smith MA. It's David Smith. What's up, David? Gentlemen, how are you? Doing great. Uh, we mentioned in the pre-show, just before hitting that record button, <laughs> That it's your PhD episode, third time on the show, so I, I don't have any fanfare uh, queued up, so apologies for that. But <laughs> that's okay; it's exciting enough, right? Uh, it sounds it sounds amazing. Well, it's on it's on multiple people's resumes at this point on their LinkedIn. You know, it's like awards and certifications. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm a, a licensed and trained physician, and I am a uh, PTM PhD. And it goes a long way. Okay. Yeah, I don't have a LinkedIn account, so I've got to find a spot to 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 put that. Yeah, that's no, that's good. That's right up there. I appreciate Resume it. builders, man. And, you know, in this uh, in this economy, you never know. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Like... It's a multi gig economy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like that's something you can say at any point and make yourself sound smart. You know, uh, it, I, I've read like the, uh, if you're talking with people who know sports and you don't know sports, you can say these phrases and that'll work. But you know, if you want to sound smart, you can go well in today's economy. Uh, and then just say anything. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so. Say so, something totally bat crazy, but it's been it's already been solidified because because of what you prefaced it with. That's perfect. Right, right. Well, David, it is your PhD episode, so you know how we start this thing. What you drinking tonight? Uh, I am going a uh, a Weller one hundred and seven. Uh, mm. Fun fun uh, bottle of bourbon. I tend to go neat when it comes to bourbon, but I actually went two ice cubes tonight. Um, I do that with higher proof bourbons, uh, just because it gets a little too hot on your tongue and you want that taste to pop. So I want to taste something as I'm sitting and talking with you two gentlemen. Well, I, I do it too. When, when it's time, or when it's this hot out that Sherwin mentioned Sherwin, I, <laughs> it, it was like, whatever it was two weeks ago, perfect weather for like camping. Me and the wife went camping and stuff and it was in the high forties overnight and, you know, 70 during the day, 65 to 70, perfect hiking weather. Everything was perfect. And then suddenly 90 plus degrees. And I'm telling you, 
this is what Southern slow. This is where this comes from. Like I, I felt everything slow down. I don't know about y'all, but like I'm walking outside and it's 95 degrees this week. And it was, it was 70 last week. Last week I'm walking around pretty quick and yep. Got to get where I'm going this week. I'm like, I ain't no hurry. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Sherwin, how about you? Same. I mean, I, you know, (laughs) I'm guilty of being something of a hermit on the weekends, (laughs) but I was like, nah, I'll open up the door, let some fresh air in here while I'm watching all this racing and, and rain, and it's sunshiny here in North Carolina, and I open the door, and I go, nah. <laughs> Shut the door, turn the AC down two more degrees. <laughs> right before I started the show, I, I mashed the AC button about four or five times, like, it is too damn hot in here, and I'm going to be sweating my butt off trying to do uh, the podcast with all these lights on me, because, you know, if I turn off these lights... Now it looks like I'm in the dark, which, I mean, I've, there's a light in here, but it's not doing a whole lot. So light ourselves up. There it is. <laughs> and I got this, I got this fancy clicker too. So I get to, uh, this, you know, <laughs> that deal. But uh, yeah, yeah. So slowing it down a little bit. You slowing down any, David? You still on the gas? Very much on the gas. Uh, actually, will be this will be my first uh, race weekend that I'm attending since Daytona uh this weekend so looking forward to that looking forward to the hot weather um although sunday's coke 600 looks interestingly uh chilly um Mm. is it dips down into nighttime we we should see temps about 51 to 55 degrees so a lot of grip a lot of speed this might be a tire wear race uh so that could be a, a pretty big factor but i'm looking forward to all of that i'm i I embrace it. It's uh, it's long overdue return to the racetrack for me. Well, that's fantastic, and I'm jealous of the people who will be camping at the race this uh, this weekend because, once again, great weather there. Sherwin, I did <laughs> skip you. Uh, what are you drinking tonight yourself? Uh, well, I still got some leftover Texas beer from the weekend, uh, Shiner Bach. Well done. Always a nice, tasty little beer. Well done. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound fancy here or whatever, but it was kind of funny the way my wife put it. So uh, I, I flew out to Athens, Georgia this weekend, met up with some friends, went out to lunch, hung out for a bit, walked around the town and uh, flew back. But while I was there, Creature Comforts is right there in the middle of downtown. So I stopped there and my wife called it the most expensive beer run in history. <laughs> it's, uh, aviation fuel's not cheap, but easily, but they've got uh, a coffee stout here. Uh, it's 8%. So it'll, it'll get you, you know, it'll get you primed and ready. But uh, it's pretty good. Creature Stout. Um, and I got some other couple of other things that they don't sell like, you know, they don't distribute. So um, got a good little, good little, I don't know, $50 <laughs> uh, uh, assortment there. So looking well, forward to it. Well, to add to, um, and not to cut you off, but to add to um, what David's drinking, I am almost positive when I went to New Orleans that Weller's was one of the ones that we had. Now, obviously, for those who've been to New Orleans, you know that there's, I mean, you can't, you can't breathe without tripping over a bar that slammed full of bourbon. (laughs) And, you know, I'm sure we were probably in some basement type thing that was like, you know, like a cellar or something, who knows. But I remember having Weller's. I don't know which one of them we had, but. That's definitely that's that's way up the list in uh, in Juliet's repertoire. She's a bourbon connoisseur, so I'm just that, I was just go I, with the I, I flow. I bet you paid a pretty penny for it too. 
Um, well, at a bar. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I was uh, <laughs> uh, I'm blessed to not know a lot about what things cost while I was there. Um, <laughs> it, you know, I, I I'm not saying they're necessarily just rolling in the dough or anything, but uh, they were they were very gracious guests, and I I have no idea. I, I imagine at some point. I was probably holding a tumbler with two fingers or something that probably cost $60 an ounce if I had to guess. I mean, it was yeah, good. That's, that's what's wild on, on most bourbons. I mean, the markup is going to be just incredible, but this is this retails at less than $30 a bottle. The problem is you can't find it. Oh. That's that's the caveat. So Scarcity um, is yeah. part of the game. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go meta here. Talk about podcasting for a moment. Uh, we both have things to celebrate. Uh, David, uh, PTM podcast was named the number one podcast in the world by my own mother. And uh, at the same time, y'all were named a top 20 analytics podcast by Welp Magazine. So, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of those probably carries more weight in the world. But, uh, you know, I, I, um, I like mine quite a bit. You- but <laughs> you, you know what? I don't I don't know if my mom has ever listened to positive regression. <laughs> so there you go. You might have a leg up on me for that. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I'd say that's pretty good. Um, pretty high praise. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the, this this little podcast that uh, Alan Kavana and I do uh, on a weekly basis, just a, a nerdy NASCAR podcast um, seems to be recognized. So that's that's great. And uh, we rec- uh, recently hit our 100th episode which for me was a milestone because of just the effort that has gone into building it mm. and getting myself uh to at least a respectable point uh, of of podcast editing i have uh, immense immeasurable respect for audio engineers uh now knowing <laughs> knowing what i don't know um so yeah i mean we're we're now in our third year uh and it's been great um we've we we recently joined the blue wire network we're the only nascar pod uh on that network um so we've i mean we've been excited we 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 really have uh for for both alan and i it's opened doors uh to to gigs that we probably didn't even think were on our radar so it's um it's been good in, in that respect that's really cool. What's been some highlights over the last few weeks or month or so? Um, recent stuff y'all been doing over there? Uh, recently, we actually had a um, we talked about who is a serious championship contender, and it it wasn't your normal hot take conversation. I think Alan and I both hit on the um, the the same things. Is it's this isn't really about season long strength. We saw that with Kevin Harvick last year. We Mm -hmm. might be seeing it with Kyle Larson this year. Mm -hmm. The championship is given to the winner of a contest designed by NASCAR where they place 10 races at the end of the year. And some of these races have more prominence than others. And if you are not good in those races or at those tracks, then you are not a serious title contender. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where the, the conversation dovetailed. Um, I know it's a little bit different from probably the normal, the normal NASCAR discussion, the things that you'll see on Reddit. Uh, but that's kind of the things that we, that we embrace. Uh, we, we let our, our, our stat wonkiness kind of guide us in different directions than, uh, what you'd ordinarily hear on other podcasts or on Sirius radio or even during the telecasts. And, uh, and we're okay with that. We've, we've carved out our niche and we really enjoy our niche. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, that's fantastic. You know that that slides right into the next thing I was going to ask you because uh, we love talking numbers here, and and a couple of what we've uh, called nerd necks many times. But uh, we we know some of the easy numbers, right? There's 268 wins for Hendrick. Uh, we've had 11 different winners this season now, if I counted correctly. Um, what are some of the more surprising stats for you right now that you're seeing, and uh, and does that play into you know some of this championship stuff you were talking about? Well, it does and it doesn't. Um, I think some of the surprising things that that we've seen have come from drivers that that maybe we thought were good, but we didn't anticipate them being this good. Uh, one of them being William Byron. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ranks second in production and equal equipment rating. The the top ten streak, the win at Homestead, all plays into that. Um, he was always on a an above average Cup Series driver trajectory. But this season, he's hit an entirely different level. Um, All of his underlying numbers seem to support, and they did this in previous years, but they really seem to support what he's doing is realistic. Um, To to see him at 23 jump to this level is thoroughly impressive. And uh, so much so, I'm actually working on a column that'll appear in uh, on Forbes later this week. But the the value that he's driven up for himself, <clears throat> what he produced last season was was roughly at a two million dollar a year salary pace. He's now up to a he's he's turned himself into a five million dollar a year driver. Wow. Uh, his contract ends after 2022, the same time Chase Elliott ends. So all of this Hendrick Motorsports dominance that we're seeing they are soon going to have to pay a lot of money to maintain that um i find that that part fascinating and then just the you know the little nuggets that we like to talk about like of of all of the drivers uh in terms of production equal equipment rating in races that end with at least one late race restart the best driver in the series is matt Benedetto. blows your mind and and he he has established himself as an elite restarter that is very much his identity in this series but the the manner in which it is um dictating his race finish is is incredible and it, it, and that's that's kind of the fun stuff that we like to discover because some of this isn't um uh, easily perceived when watching races on television we've talked about this before uh, every other sport, football, basketball, baseball, you're going to see all of the action in front of you on your TV screen. You miss a lot when it comes to watching any form of racing, but those little things we're, we're, we're missing talents. We're, li- we're missing skills. And all of these drivers have different skill sets that pop in different moments. Um, so doing this podcast, having motorsports analytics and being able to write on these sort of things allows, uh, hopefully allows my readers to appreciate these drivers uh, in a different way because they might not be competing for outright wins and they might not get the traditional media coverage uh, that you would expect for, for winning drivers to get, but they've carved their own niche into the sport and they're having a lot of success with it. So that's for me, that's, that's the cool part. That's probably been one of the things that, that has most interested me, in in reading your stuff and listening to the podcast with Alan is is where you go and find some of that unique information like what you talked about with what's coming up with Forbes is okay so how do I place a value well I have to go compare 
some period of time where this person was worth this and this is why maybe they were. And you grade that, you know, maybe a tiered system that you ultimately apply some actual dollar value to. But to say that William Byron has taken him, you know, has basically increased his value by two and a half times what it was before the season started. How much do you have to grade into it? It's pretty obvious that in the off season, uh, Hendrick Motorsports as a whole has found a way to um, increase value for all its mm-hmm. drivers uh, by finding some speed that, that they didn't have toward until maybe the last four, five, six races last year. Yeah, uh, I mean that's that that all plays into it. Um, at least just in regards to the um, to the values, it's based on production and equal equipment rating. Um, so it's, it's, it's applying a monetary value. Um, I've, I have been afforded the opportunity to talk with team decision makers, uh, driver agents, folks on both sides of the negotiating table. So I can, I I have a a pretty thorough, I think, understanding of, uh, of what driver values are, um, for a few drivers, I know precisely what they are paid, um, so just with those little facts and understanding what drivers are actually producing on the racetrack, we can quantify the worth of what they do every Sunday. Now we, we, we can't get into whether they're bringing sponsorship and if they do that increases their value. If they can, uh, garner merchandise sales and sponsorship, a lot of what Chase Elliott's pay is going to be, he's incredible on the track. He's already a champion, but also he had the highest first day merch sales, after uh, after a champion in NASCAR in the last ten years, so someone you know willing to to move merchandise, be that recognizable name, there's a value to that as well. Um, when he goes to the negotiating table, probably next summer and maybe sooner than that, he's going to have a ton of leverage. I don't think he's going to go anywhere, but he's going to push that note across the table, and he can almost name a, a pretty sky high number and get it. Uh, so it's just, it, it's, it's kind of understanding those inner workings. I know that there, there is no, there's no driver's union. There's nothing that was, that's going to drive um, these kind of dollar figures being out there in the public uh, like they are for other sports. Um, I find that fascinating, not the, uh, not the how much is someone getting paid, but how we quantify what drivers are doing because, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to know if we can for certain understand whether a driver is is vastly underpaid or he's performing beyond what was expected of him and what that value increase actually is, because I think that's um, a side plot storyline that a lot of people would enjoy hearing about. I totally agree. Uh, you know, more pressing contract stuff for Hendrick is Alex Bowman coming up. Um, I'm curious where, you know, where you place him on that spectrum. Um, and, and we talked about it last week, considering the, uh, the win over Dover. And, uh, you know, if that, if that pumped the numbers a little bit, like, hey, we were already talking contract, but, you know, now I'm a winner. So that's For interesting. I'm curious what, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what you guys would, would think about that, that win at Dover. But at least statistically, uh, Alex Bowman, um, he scored an adjusted pass efficiency of 33.33%. It is, since I started tracking that metric in 2014, the lowest adjusted pass efficiency of a NASCAR Cup Series race winner. So 
is that was that an ordinary win? I know that we can recall that Kyle Larson went out and dominated that day. Hendrick Motorsports as a whole was very good. Chase Elliott came from the rear of the field to score stage points in the first stage. They they brought the heat that day. They deserved their one, two, three, four finish. Um, but in regards to Bowman, it's tough because of those four drivers, it seems that he is the driver most likely to be replaced if they were looking to do that. Um, they've had opportunities. They've had Brad Keselowski um, display some interest. They've had Eric Jones come available. Um, they, they would have Matt Benedetto uh, this season who uh, has a higher open market value than Bowman, but they're sticking with the familiar face from the sounds of it. And what that allows them to do Bowman's, probably a little bit over a, uh, he's well over $2 million driver. He's probably very nearly a $3 million driver, but not splurging on a bigger name, like not going after Brad Keselowski probably gives them uh, enough uh, financial flexibility to retain Elliot and Byron in the same year. And probably because from the sounds of it, Kyle Larson has a, uh, a contract with incentives um, the ability to pay that contract out because those are likely incentives <laughs> Kyle Larson's going to hit so uh, if he keeps performing the way he's performing. So, <laughs> they, so even so, even though is is he the most attractive free agent on the table? No, no, not by far. But but his place at Hendrick allows Hendrick to continue being Hendrick, and therefore they understand what his value brings specifically to them. Boy, I feel like I'm getting like some clairvoyance here. This is <laughs> that's good stuff. I love that. I, I, how often do you think teams are like are using your stats? <laughs> like, well, your your pass efficiency rating was uh, the the worst of <laughs> that, I, that I've been measuring it. Um, or maybe uh, you know we're not we're not looking to break any NDAs here. But have uh, <laughs> have you worked with teams in terms of uh, any of the stat stuff? I'm just curious. Uh, I, I I get I get yelled at weekly if the uh if my plan your restart stats aren't updated uh before competition meetings um i'm sorry i've got a lot on my plate i try to get it done monday or tuesday it just things happen um but yeah no uh, teams drivers have been supportive uh there are a lot of patrons within the industry which i appreciate that gives me some validity that that folks within the sport actually uh, use what I write, use the, use the stats that I create or track, um, in their competition meetings and kind of their, their, you know, daily discussions. Uh, I know that, you know, Denny Hamlin is, um, he's been pretty vocal about it, that he's a believer, uh, so much so that he brought up the restart stats when discussing the need for a choose rule. Um, so that was, uh, pretty neat, pretty surreal. Um, but also on, on some of these, these numbers and these metrics, I've, I've reached out to the industry. I haven't been bashful about that. Uh, and I'm very lucky that, you know, it's a sport filled with engineers and engineers know cars and they know math and they understand what I'm trying to do. So they're, they're willing to, to offer that helping hand and maybe point me in a direction that's uh, they know would be useful to them. And it uh, just so happens that uh, a lot of NASCAR fans find it interesting as well. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that. You know, what's interesting to me is you, and I wouldn't say they're diabolically opposed. That's probably a little bit too graphic of an adjective or adverb, whichever we're looking, <laughs> looking at. But this, on the same token that, that your metrics might 
um, allow a driver to show up at the table with negotiating power for a base salary. Yeah. Um, and then whatever their potential contribution uh, for merchandise sales that would end up rolling back into the overall team fund, the the team can actually take some of that same some of those same metrics and go to the sponsor and say, this is the kind of value that our team, our engineers, our car builders, our talent, including the driver, can bring to you as a sponsor, and so we think your sponsorship should increase by X or we're going to keep you where you're at, but you're now going to get a smaller chunk of the car. Who's your, who would you consider? So you're starting up a team. You're going to have four cars. You have a fairly limited budget. uh, So, you know, you can't just get the, the superstars, but what's, what's like the, the Billy bean, (laughs) Oakland athletics, sabermetrics, uh, you know, Mount Rushmore for you of undervalued, overperforming drivers uh, in 2021. See, I, I, I don't even know if I would start with the drivers. I think I'd go crew chief first uh, wow. or, 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 or competition department first, because um, there was, there was one driver I was talking with last week. He, he said as a hypothetical, if he was making $3 million a year, he knew if he could get the best crew chief in the garage, he would willingly give up half. Um, and that's, you know, for, for those guys, that's the difference. If you consider who's like, I mean, are you seeing who's running 20th to 25th right now? It's Eric Jones, a former truck champion, Daniel Suarez, a former Xfinity champion, Eric Almarola, Chase Briscoe won nine Xfinity races last year. Uh, Ross Chastain's back there. That's good racing. And those are good drivers. And, and they're essentially stuck back there because the car won't go any faster, really. And when, when you think about that, all of those guys, uh, all those drivers are good. They bring something, at, at least one something to the table. Um, what it boils down to is a car that has a handling balance and is fast and has mechanical grip and arrow and, and everything that you need right now in the modern day cup series. And only so few teams are achieving that. And when you consider what happens in a NASCAR race, it's it's almost like the rich get richer. Even when you're coming down to pit road, who who pits first? The leaders. They get the clean entry and exit um, onto and off of pit road. Uh, they don't have to worry about uh, lap traffic uh, or, or any kind of traffic uh, early on their run. So they don't. You know, we we talk about um, these restarts being wild with the 550 package. Drivers of clean air don't have to worry about that. So they that that initial speed and mind you that's the the most correlative metric with success in in stock car racing but that offers so many advantages while masking all the deficiencies so if you get that right if you if you build the car if you're going to pour all of your money into the car that's when you can begin to play moneyball with with who's actually driving it and i think at that point there's just there's different horses for different courses as you dive down into the 20th, 25th, 30th place range in the Cup Series because guys are those guys are really good. Um, even down to Xfinity and trucks, uh, I know it's a mess at times in some of those races, but you're going to find talent that's at least capable of um, taking a car, a fast car, in clean air 
and arrow blocking their way to a good finish. That's uh, that's a really cool <laughs> way to look at it. How about you know what what is your Mount Rushmore then of uh, of crew chiefs? Where would you where would you start? Uh, currently, um, I, I mean it's it's tough to to argue against uh, Gabe Hart and Childers um, based on what we saw from them last year, uh, just mechanically in terms of uh, getting their cars to compete at every style of racetrack. Um, but also strategically, they were, you know, I mentioned Bowman had a, uh, essentially a negative pass differential when he won Dover. Um, well, that was the same with Harvick when he won Indianapolis, Harvick did not pass for the lead to win the race at Indianapolis. Um, but Rodney Childers put himself, uh, put him in that kind of position to benefit when Denny Hamlin, uh, popped that tire, um, into the same respects. We saw that from Hamlin. We saw it from Greg Ives with Alex Bowman at times last year, um, the Coca-Cola 600, uh, last year, Greg Ives made the decision. Uh, he, he recognized that tire wear was minimal. He made a two tire call after the caution for rain and Bowman jumped from 13th to first where he arrow blocked his way to two stage victories. That was a masterful call. I think they finished outside the top 10 in that race, but they went home with the fourth most points. Um, so when, when you're doing those kind of things, you have to think one mechanically, you're, you're building a car that can do these kind of things. Um, and then you have to find, uh, a way to, to strategize your way towards the game that NASCAR has created for its teams. And some of these teams play that game better than others. So, um, for, a, for a Rushmore, I'll stick with Gabe Hart and Childers, um, cause I think they're low hanging fruit. Greg Ives is, uh, is a star. Uh, in my opinion, I think he, he might actually be the best of uh, the Hendrick Quartet uh, right now. No, no um, ill will to, uh, to Alan Gustafson. <laughs> and uh, ooh, for a fourth, it's hmm. a good question. I've, I've oh, James, a... James, James Small, James Small, because he's because we haven't seen anybody make a they had the what the 16th fastest car in the first stage at Phoenix and they had the fastest car in the final stage. I don't know too many crew <laughs> chiefs that are that are diagnosing and pulling that off uh, right now. So I think, yeah, I, I'd, I'd want the uh, the Aussie on my team. <laughs> uh, interesting, because cool. I, I always put Paul Wolf as one of my, if you yeah. will, Mount Rushmore guys. Um, so I, I don't know if that backs up stats or anything else, but, um, he actually, I mean, internally in Penske, he is credited for a lot of their turnaround after the, the Kurt Busch, uh, Ryan Newman eras, they kind of had a malaise a little bit when, you know, when David Stremming was driving the 12 and then they signed Brad and then they promoted Paul Wolf from the Xfinity series. And a lot of the, um, uh, the the protocols they have in house. I don't want to call it an assembly line, but a lot of the things that they do now with their cars, uh, Paul was the first one to do it, and it's kind of branched out. He's um, in that regard. It, you know, Travis Geisler is the competition director, and and by all accounts, he does a very good job. But it sounds like Paul is something of a shadow competition director because a lot of his ideas uh, translate onto the other cars. Um, so he was uh, significant in in riding uh, a ship at Penske that was just wayward for a while, uh, head-scratchingly bad. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, let's do this. Let's tear it down. Here we go. There's a sound effect. And here's 
the first period of the report card. Of course, we got to talk Coda, and Chase was there. Not a huge surprise, but uh, David, I mean, that was like uh, on your podcast <laughs> on uh, Positive Regression. It was just like, okay, is it uh, Chase Elliott or Chase Elliott? <laughs> yeah, I, I picked Chase. I didn't. I didn't feel great about it. Um, I don't. I don't want to see a rain uh, a rain out victory. Um, and I and I don't like picking the uh, the easy name, but uh, I think Hendrick as a whole uh, thoroughly impressed. The, the The disappointment that I had with Coda was not with the track itself, because I think that is an absolutely gorgeous facility. And the I mean I don't know if you guys follow IndyCar much, but the track's racy as hell. There's a lot of tire wear in IndyCar uh, for 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 that road course race, and it's kind of incredible to watch. And in speaking with with drivers and, and some team members um, leading into Coda, you know, whereas there was hesitation, trepidation into preparing for a dirt race at Bristol, there was none of that for Coda. Everyone was bought in. Um, they knew what they wanted to do. They knew what they needed to work on before they got there. They were excited because there was going to be practice sessions and a traditional qualifying session. Um, one driver told me that he had all 20 turns memorized. He could close his eyes and tell you what he wanted to do. That's how much time he spent preparing for it. So I, I'm disappointed that we didn't get to see that race play out. Um, but even even with everything that transpired, interesting to see Hendrick Motorsports um, rise to the occasion, uh, even, even in the wet. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll say this. First and foremost for that race, we did get Matthew McConaughey and he definitely started with all right, all right, all right. And, and that was that, you know, we talked about it last show that, you know, yeah, come on, you got to, and he did. So I, I'll at least, uh, you know, give props where they're due. Uh, I was happy with that one, but sure. let's start with this. Um, start with the, maybe with the, <laughs> I'm trying to divorce or decouple the two topics of racing at Coda and racing in the rain um, but that, that might not be possible in this case, but if we can, what was your thoughts on racing at Coda and, uh, you know, and what we saw? Well, I was genuinely excited. Um, especially Same. the more I got to look at what that racetrack is and how complicated it is compared to some of the other stuff that we do road course wise in NASCAR up until now. I mean, that... 20 turns, like legit turns. <laughs> and, you know, you've got 185 mile an hour straight away. I would have absolutely loved to see that play out under. Well, if I'm being fair, I would like it to see go from a damp surface to a dry surface. Mm-hmm. Um, but divorcing the rain from the equation, uh, I mean, I guess we basically saw that. Uh, Saturday afternoon uh, with the Xfinity. And that's always going to be a little bit different, um, all things considered. And I'm sure we'll discuss that later. But I I thought the venue itself um, is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it feels like a place that NASCAR could, could find a good home. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the whole what makes Austin similar to Nashville, but not at all the same as Nashville is, is pretty cool. In a lot of ways, um, I thought, uh, you know, as much as I've kind of <laughs> really poo-pooed Fox a little bit, uh, not even a little bit at times, um, for the way they've approached this season, 
um, from a you know a extraneous coverage perspective. I thought they crushed it for now for Austin, you know, getting, uh, you know, getting all the different people involved, getting all the Austins involved. I thought that was, I mean, that, that wasn't gimmicky at all to me. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Billy Gibbons. I mean, (laughs) that whole thing they, they did, they did what you wanted them to do. And I think, I think even the people of Austin who don't know anything about stock car racing would go, yeah, I think they did our city right. I think they did it right. Keep Austin weird. Yep. Uh, keep Austin, you know, red dirt country. Yep. I I love how different this one is, and and we we come from you know we we've called uh, I mean they're they're almost officially called cookie cutter tracks. You know, your mile and a half D oval, and uh, there I, I feel like we we almost could get into a trap where you can't tell one road course from another if we're if we're going to so many road courses or whatever but the uniqueness with this one like you said 20 turns but we have a 185 mile an hour straightaway and another uh, you know damn near 180 miles an hour straightaway and then 20 yeah. real turns and everything um i i agree i think this is a long-term home uh for uh, for nascar going forward david I, yeah, I mean the the track itself has everything. You probably elevation too is mm, is mm-hmm. huge. Um, I mean, Watkins, not, was, yeah, Watkins Glen style. Yeah, Mar- Martin Truex said that he he enjoys tracks with elevation, and that's that's different than what we like the stadium road courses like the Roval and and Daytona. That's it, it, it's it's good for you know filling filling the gap, but this is this is a legit course. Um, and I think it, it tested and challenged some of these drivers and, and, and to see some of these guys actually embrace, or at least try to embrace what was happening in the wet. I mean, even after, uh, uh, the first practice, uh, they brought in William Byron and Joey Logano to talk a little bit about their runs and both enjoyed it. Uh, Logano talked, you know, yeah, the, the visibility could be a problem, but I, you know, this is driving in rain something we can adjust to and and there were um places on the track that they the drivers knew where they wanted to initially hit their braking points and they were having to adjust on the fly so there was actually a lot of you know just technical work at play um unfortunately it just didn't come to fruition the way that it deserved to so um, I, I, mean, I assume this isn't a temporary measure. I, the, you know, the hope is on the schedule for years to come and, uh, yeah, 20, 20 legit turns. Five of them were like crazy heavy left-handers where you actually had to drive it like an oval track a little bit. Um, I, yeah, I, I hope it, hope it stays for a very long time. So that's the race. Let's talk about the rain part. Of course, Harvick had plenty to say about it, but Harvick also didn't take home the trophy. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's hard to say. Um, and I, I, I've seen, I don't know. I've seen both sides of everything here. Uh, I feel like, but I don't know for me, it felt like there's uh, sure when you said it earlier, there's, there's damp, there's moist, uh, for Sydney let, uh, but then there's, then there's, you know, we're, we're racing in, in a lake here and we can't see anything. And, and, you know, this is, this is just silly. Um, where on that spectrum were we in y'all's thoughts? I mean, for, you know, for me personally, I, I don't, 
you don't know what you don't know. So for, for these drivers to be complaining, um, it, it, it should hold some, some significance, but it's not like the, the NASCAR had a pace car out there. Right. Um, they weren't seeing this firsthand. Um, and even Michael McDowell said earlier today that it, it, in that kind of situation, it's trial by fire error. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And, and it's from the sounds of it, it certainly was an error. Uh, at the very least, uh, Scott Miller from NASCAR said that, yeah, they, they probably waited too long to, to stop the race, um, which is, you know, worlds different than the explanation for the, the Kansas tire debacle. So we're, we're at least back to NASCAR owning uh, their, their mistakes. Um, so there's that. I know it doesn't, you know, right uh, any perceived wrongs, but it's something that if, if NASCAR is going to be going to more road courses and going to be utilizing a rain tire, then this was probably actually a very pivotal race for um for forming uh, a future precedence for how those races are called just you know it it just happened to play out last sunday where it didn't it didn't go well in a very big way and um grateful that no one was hurt because if those guys couldn't see that that much was clear in the in the crashing because those are some pretty vicious hits that we saw yeah, yeah i think where it would <laughs> probably some of the data that's really going to come into play in how they approach these things going forward is, is the spotter saying, look, they didn't really put us in the right spots. Um, they shouldn't have limited us to three when we all wanted four and we couldn't see, you know, we couldn't see cars in some pretty pivotal places, pivotal places. Um, but you know what, if they don't do that, they don't know. Now, granted, I'm of not just a theory, but having watched it, that we should have learned what can go wrong at Montreal about 10 or 11 years ago, because that's basically what we saw again. A little bit different kind of course, but similar in that, you know, there was a lot of can't see going on, but it gets lost in the minutia because it's been so long since we did that. And it was a lesser series, so there's way less eyeballs um, it wasn't the first time we had raced at Montreal, Circuit Ville-Gilneuve, um, you know, yada, yada, yada. This was all brand new, all, all eyes on board at Austin. And, um, you know, they, they were, they were, they aired on the side of, well, let's see what happens instead of, oh, no, no, let's put training wheels on this thing every time we get a chance. And so, and then you, you walk away wondering, well, did we learn everything that we needed to learn? Well, it kind of feels like maybe they did learn everything they needed to learn, and perhaps they'll reevaluate for next time. Hmm. So uh, I'll skip ahead a little bit here, and and I do want to talk about playoffs for a minute. And I and I put this in before uh, before I thought about uh, or before um, David, you had talked about uh, what, what y'all had talked about last uh, podcast and whatnot. But uh, in the playoffs. And and there's the classic stuff. You you already said it. Um, Hamlin looking, you know, really good. Obviously, he's first in points, and Mister Consistent in that case. Uh, Byron uh, being kind of the surprise, you know, in terms of beginning of year. Maybe today we're not surprised every week when he's doing well. And Larson seemingly a championship contender. But uh, what what's your? Um, I don't know. What what's some of the TLDR on? Uh, 
on what uh, what you're talking about in terms of here's who I'm looking at in the playoff picture. I mean, the interesting one to me is Martin Truex and um, and and James Small. What they've done has been really interesting. So the the three wins came on playoff tracks, including Martinsville, which is the cutoff for the final uh, semifinal round, and then Phoenix. And when James Small, um, they, they, they brought him in after the race in Phoenix, he talked about the, the car's setup that uh, he built with engineer Jeff Curtis. They were eliminated after, I mean, they had a good shot at winning Martinsville last fall, um, but they did not have um, a largesse of uh, playoff points. So they were, they were eliminated. Um, they recognized that that was a problem. They needed more playoff points. James Small calls them bonus points, which is adorable. Uh, and, and, and then Phoenix. Uh, Turex had never won there prior to this year. They hadn't performed particularly well there lately. And the day they got back from Phoenix and back into the shop, they went to work on a Phoenix setup. And they had literally been working November, end of November, December, and January, getting ready for this spring Phoenix race just to see what they had. Um, they didn't have practice. They didn't shake down anything. Um, so uh, Jim Small, they, they utilized the competition caution in the end of the first stage. That, that was essentially a practice session from them. Um, Truex delivered fantastic feedback, knew exactly what he wanted, and they were able to tap in to uh, the setup that they created. They optimized it. So when you break down what they've done, um, one, I mean, we've seen entire organizations, Penske in general, um, shifting towards specializing in 750 horsepower tracks because they think that's where the championships were won. And fair credit to them, they nearly pulled that off last year. Um, But what Truex and this 19 team have done, they've, they've actually just focused on three tracks and they nailed it. Uh, so if you, if you break down how the playoffs schedule runs out, it opens at Darlington. They've won there. Um, the second stage or the second round includes races where uh, things could go either way. Uh, it ends uh, with the Roval. Um, Trace can be formidable. Sure. But he's going to have more playoff points. And that's, they've talked about that being a focus and that can get them through third round. Whatever happens, it ends at Martinsville. And right now, Turex feels pretty strongly about that. And he's the reigning Phoenix winner. So as the playoff schedule rolls out, that 19 team has done everything that it set out to do. And when you talk about uh, crowning a champion based on the results of one race, having it be Phoenix, it sort of nullifies teams like Kevin Harvick. Uh, Kevin Harvick's team has not been good there lately. Uh, they used to have a firewall around that place that it is gone. Uh, Kyle Larson struggled there. Hendrick, I mean, Chase Elliott, I'd argue, was the best driver there this spring performance-wise, advanced stats-wise, and he's the the winner of last year's fall race. He might be their their best choice at winning that thing. Um, and then Joey Logano is, is very competitive at Phoenix. Um, the getting there is one part, but winning it is another. Uh, so when... Folks are saying, look, Kyle Larson's having an incredible season and, and not to take anything away from that. 
of course he can be part of the championship four at Phoenix, but if he is not a serious contender for the win at that racetrack, then he is not a serious title contender. And that's kind of the, how that, that, that is the contest. That is, that is this game that NASCAR has created is where he's in a situation where, yeah, he, he might win five races this year. He might win eight races this year, but can we rightly say that he's a legitimate title contender? Not until we've seen him be good at, phoenix raceway so we talked in the pre-show about like bottling up certain portions of of different uh uh podcasts and i think that one uh what what you just said to be a contender for the championship you got to be a contender at phoenix and uh you know or or at least this year and and as long as we're at phoenix and and that uh what's interesting about that if they decide that they're going to start changing this thing up either more and more often i don't know that's just Rusty starting a rumor or whatever, but uh, if they're, I, I, I don't know what to say. That that that's pretty freaking sweet. Um, and and looking at what do, what does Phoenix hold uh, for folks, and do we have enough data to to say one way or another? Um, and perhaps we do. What do you think, David? Yeah, I mean there there are a number of competitive. Weirdly, ever since Phoenix was named the host of the the championship race. Nobody thought that it could replace Homestead as this this track where no one truly has an inherent advantage, but it has become that because all these different teams have spent a lot of money, a lot of time in research and development trying to understand that track. And when that happens, you're going to have a sort of parody that sees a lot of different teams dominate. We saw a lot of different drivers lead laps. We saw Joey Logano get out to a four second lead before hitting traffic this spring, but he did not win that race because he did not have the fastest car in that final stage. Um, Mechanically, I think it was very interesting. It came down to something of a crew chief duel where, yeah, the, the 11 car was fast. The 22 car was fast, but all along the 19 car was progressing, getting faster as the race uh, came to a conclusion and that was it that was hit that was reading the track understanding what's going to come next taking the feedback from the driver um in that sense i know that that might not have been the most exciting race that we've had this year but in that sense in terms of a competition it's everything that you could ever want from a nascar race because every player on the team was in play, whether it was crew chiefs, engineers making calls, whether it was the pit crew, and then ultimately it was the driver. I mean, that that kind of is what you want from an NASCAR race. It offered a little bit of everything. So it it has become that. No one really has a grasp at Phoenix. Um, so right now I can I can see that there's a slew of really good teams that are good enough to mix it up, but it's going to come down to race 36 itself where there's going to be some inner workings within the race and something's going to hit where others whiff. Sherwin, uh, before we move on to this weekend's racing, we got to talk a little bit of golf here because if you'd have told old Rusty 20 years ago that who's uh, one of these two people are going to win the PGA championship, 20 years from now and it's the uh the quote-unquote old guy (laughs) at 30 years old at that point probably uh phil mickelson and uh and tiger woods 
uh, I would have I would have hit you in the face and put all my money on on Tiger Woods in that case. And here we are, twenty years later, and uh, I I don't know. Grown up, uh, grown up as a golf fan, and and watching all that, um, I being a Tiger Woods fan, I always saw. I don't know. You always have like the hero and the villain, and I always saw uh, uh, Phil Mickelson as sort of the villain. But now that now he's outlasted everybody else, and and I got to tell you, this last weekend when he won the PGA Championship at age fifty, I was like, all right, well, I I don't know. I guess I'm a Mickelson fan now. Like he's he, that's pretty cool. What do you think? Well, I think with age become uh, not becomes but comes appreciation. Um, I think I've seen this very much so in myself as it pertains to NASCAR and, uh, I'll, I'll singularize, uh, uh, Kevin Harvick. Boy, did I didn't dislike Kevin Harvick <laughs> for a long, long time. But then now, golly, in his early to now mid forties, really just bring it on you know, as a driver uh, against the same peers in a lot of ways. Um, but being the old guy now, um, I can appreciate Phil winning. There's there's something interesting about it. He's on the precipice of being able to play on the senior tour if he would like to. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, I believe he will turn 50 in time to enter the senior U.S. Open if he so chose to do so um my, my money's on him playing in the u.s open <laughs> not that he couldn't do both i think that's in the cards but because um, i believe tom kite's done that a couple times but um yeah th- there's something interesting about it and and phil was definitely my villain mm-hmm. without a doubt mm-hmm. i mean if you were tiger woods fan you know in 97 oh yeah you were not a phil mickelson fan yeah and it's because they just they were so different, and then of course with the advent of all of this extra media coverage, social media, and everything else, you start to learn all these things about how fallible these humans are. And then Phil's story with his wife overcoming cancer. There's all these things mm-hmm. that help you build this person up into something that you can absolutely respect beyond any reason why you might not have liked them as a competitor in the past. So, yeah, I mean, I, I looked at, I was watching Saturday, and I watched Kupka, who's the, you know, I guess the prototype golfer now, the the six right. foot three, six foot four, <laughs> you know, defensive end sized guy hitting the ball on, you know, <laughs> in the air, 330 yards. Right. And on moving day, he picks up four strokes and seven holes or whatever. I'm like, well, somebody's using moving day the way it's designed. And then he just had the same exact string in the reverse order on Sunday. And he basically just is out of it. And Phil just kind of persevered one, you know, one little stroke at a time. Yeah. Until yeah. that he just, like you said, he outlasted everybody. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned the, the prototype golfer there uh, because uh, uh, I had sent you a video <laughs> uh, this weekend, uh, went and played top golf with, uh, with the fam, and, um, you know, toward the end, it was just, all right, pick out the big club. I don't even care. I'm just going to swing as hard as I can and make something happen. And uh, <laughs> and I absolutely crushed my last shot. And it went dead straight. 
And, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting there kind of measuring, okay, where did that ball land? Where did it hit first? And then where would it have possibly rolled to, et cetera? It probably hit at 200 yards and rolled, you know, to the, to the back fence that they have, which is maybe 220, 250. Uh, you know, on a good day, that was probably a 250-yard drive straight down the middle with everything I've got. And like you said, these guys are just 300 on the fly is just insane, you know? <laughs> like, uh, that's a pitching wedge from where I where, where my ball stopped. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, I, you could blame it on Topgolf deadening the ball so they last longer. How about that? I, I'll take any crutch that I can get. <laughs> but, y'all, I crushed that ball. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Anyway, gentlemen. Let's gas it up. Here we go. That's it. It is time for Memorial Day Madness, as I uh, called it in in the very scant show sheet that we have. Uh, No Monaco. Uh, Of course, uh, last year they announced they moved it to the weekend prior. So uh, we we get to sleep in a little bit, watch the Indy 500, watch the Coke 600. Sherwin, what are you looking forward to? Well, I got to digress at least for just a minute. Mm Mm-hmm. We had some big doings in the old Monaco. Um, the hometown kid, the the Monaco Island uh, habitour, so to speak, Leclerc and Ferrari uh, slipped in their own pile of horse manure and landed face first, won the pole, and didn't even start the race. Oh, my gosh. Um, because of a couple of different wild reasons. I'll let you go read about that because two of, it's two very egregious mistakes. Um, and not being like all in on the whole F1, but getting better at it, especially with watching the show. I promise you, anybody out there, if you haven't watched and driven to survive, it will cause you to want to pay attention to F1, even if it's still the same thing you think it is every week, which is, you know, it's a whole lot of follow the leader just because those cars are so fast and it's so hard to pass. But, and Monaco is like the chief of all tracks where you can't pass, (laughs) but, um, there was, it wasn't without shenanigans, but, um, yeah, you know what it'll do? Um, it might reduce the number of naps I need (laughs) now that we only have 1100 miles to worry about instead of 1367 or whatever it is. Right. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm curious to see, I mean, I, we got Dixon on the pole, we got people still saying crazy things like if he doesn't get a second Indy 500, then his com- career's not complete. And it's like, okay, oh. let's go <laughs> so ahead and throw that out with the baby water. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I had to say something about Monaco since we aren't going to get to see it this weekend. I watched every lap of it last weekend. Well done. David, what you looking forward to? Uh, I'll be in Charlotte. So that, that I'll, I'll be on the beat uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They've got four series uh, competing this weekend. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, there's practice. There's qualifying. It's, dare I say, very close to a normal NASCAR weekend. I better knock on wood when I say that. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'll, I'll be there uh, attending the race. I, I So I grew up in, in Daytona. Uh, and it really wasn't until I moved, uh, here to, to the Charlotte area. And now the track is, you know, a, a, quick, a short drive away, uh, to, to really appreciate this weekend for what it is. 
I don't know if that has anything to do with the 600 miles that takes place at the Oval, but I think just the the general feel that this is a weekend about motorsports is uh, is kind of nice. So um, it's it's sort of the weekend that the world, uh, certainly when Monaco was a part of it, certainly the weekend the world pays attention to auto racing. Um, I rather enjoyed that. I also like just leaving the racetrack and going straight home. It is very convenient and awesome. Um, so that, that part I'm looking forward to, uh, 600 miles, four stages in the cup race is, uh, is a slug. It's a lot. Uh, it's very long. Um, but I'm, I'm here for it. Well, you said it, uh, you know, a little bit knock on wood or whatever we call it back to normal. And, uh, it's time for Russie's PSA. Y'all be sure to go get your vaccines. Everybody listening. Um, we have recently me and the wife, I I can't remember what was it. It might've been this last weekend when we went out to Athens and, and our, uh, our hosts out there, friends of ours, uh, they said, well, um, yeah, we can go out to eat. What do y'all, uh, do y'all, where do y'all feel comfortable? What do you feel? And we, we look at each other. We're like, we'll go wherever, uh, like at this point we're, we're, we're done up. We're we're ready to roll. So y'all go get your vaccines. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, my, uh, my 5g on the new phone has been just fantastic since the vaccine. So, you know, bonus, um, but <laughs> anyway, gentlemen. Uh, no, that, that, no, great. I echo that I'm, I'm, I'm fully vaxxed and, and ready to roll. And, and mainly I've, I've missed going into the garage. Like one, mm. once the garage opens for, for cup practice, um, I mean, a lot of, uh, I've got a lot of, uh, of close, um, friends on on teams and and even folks that I'm not really close to, but I do enjoy talking with. Uh, I've missed that, you know, and that is um, that is feedback that makes me better as an analyst that I haven't had uh, for over a year. For some of these, uh, for some, I'm able to t- uh, send them a text, and for some, they, they just know me by my face. Um, so to to get back to some some relative normal and do that and to be able to uh cover the sport the best way i know how um this weekend's a a pretty pivotal first step for that so very excited for that excellent excellent well folks uh sherwin last week you picked dinger who finished fifth i went out on a little bit of a limb picked austin Dillon, who finished 12th so uh i'll go before you this time but we always give it up to the special guest so david who are you looking at for the Coke 600? Oh, man. Okay, so here, so here's the thing. Everyone's going to go this weekend assuming that Kyle Larson is the driver to beat, uh, to beat the car to beat. He uh, ranks first in pier at 550 tracks. He has the fastest car on 550 tracks, but I think this is going to be a tire wear race. Uh, and if it's minimal tire wear, I think that brings the field closer together. A pit stop can gain you track position. And then at that point, um, as we've seen in races in the recent past at Charlotte, it is very difficult to pass, especially with this rules package. So while I think Kyle Larson will win two stages, I will not pick him for the win. Um, I think my pick, uh, will be Kyle Busch. Uh, he has won the last two Cup Series races using this particular tire combination. Um, last year at Texas and uh, this year at Kansas. And this feels like a race, especially among the, the JGR4 
um, if if everything kind of uh, points in that direction, he's he's the one um, ready and most capable to take advantage of that. So I'll pick the uh, the eighteen at Charlotte. There you go. Um, mine is way less scientific and may uh, way more from <laughs> uh, the consistency that we've seen, the longevity of this thing. I, I feel like uh, you know you you've got to go with um, you know one of the we'll call it veterans at this point. And I'm, I'm going with Denny Hamlin as much as it might hurt me, hate me, whatever it is. But uh, I, I see Denny Hamlin as somebody who will be there at the end. And we'll see, um, you only, uh, we'll, we'll see if he's contending for the win. So, Sherwin, up to you. Yeah, so first and foremost, for everybody that is going to Charlotte, do not sleep on uh, the four-tenths dirt mile on Friday night. Uh not to belittle anything that's going to happen on the big track, but that is one hell of a race card. It's a lot of fun. Make sure you bring your uh, your safety glasses and be prepared to drink uh, dirt-flavored beer. Uh, and enjoy the scenery because it's a little bit different than your standard NASCAR racing fan. It's so much um, fun. I was going to go with the driver whose last name begins with H. Um, so I'm going to pick the Sleeping Giant to Awake. Uh, Kevin Harvick. There you go, SHR. Um, but I, you know, I what I agree with uh, again, just exactly what I was saying was uh, your veteran drivers there at uh, and and who can outlast uh, in this Coke 600. I like it. Um, with that, about time to start closing us down, uh, Mr. David. Why don't you tell the folks where they can find you? What's coming up next for you? Uh, whoo, lots of stuff. Um, they can find me on motorsportsanalytics.com, uh, nascar.nbcsports.com. I'm also at forbes.com. Um, but the easiest way to do it, uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Smith MA, or you can just send me your email and, uh, I will send you all of my articles. You don't have to look for them. Um, send me uh, your email address at motorsportsanalytics.com. Uh, at gmail.com and I will sign you up for a newsletter. It's just the articles emailed directly to your inbox. I, I don't need your clicks. I just want the, the, the article to be read and for the, um, the message to, uh, to resonate. So um, do consider that if you, um, if, uh, if you're into this kind of stuff and if you like hearing the sound of my voice, uh, Positive Regression, the Motorsports Analytics podcast drops every Thursday morning. It is hosted by me and Alan Kavana, uh, and we call it the the NASCAR podcast for the thinking fan. So uh, please stop by if uh, if you are so inclined. We'd love to have you as a listener. Excellent. Well, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Sherwin, close us out. All right. Well, you can find us at PETM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Andrew L. Sherwin on Instagram and Pregame Engineer on Twitter. There you go. And as always, Tailgate Mayor Rusty Wallace at Tailgate Mayor, PTMPodcast.com at PTM Podcast. He said it. Come uh, come see us. Come hang out. We can't wait to talk to you all next week. Enjoy the long weekend. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to a show next Tuesday. Y'all take care.